his album Who Will Be Next, and that was New Year's Eve. Thanks for tuning in. This is KEUL FM 88.9 Girdwood, serving Turnigan Arm. Our phone number is Ski City. That's 7542. It's early January in Girdwood, and I've just turned on to the Alieska Highway, a smooth paved road that makes a beeline for the heartbeat of this small community, the Alieska Ski Resort. The last few days have blanketed the Chugach Mountains with nearly three feet of new snow, and the resort is bustling with skiers, snowboarders, and people looking to enjoy some of the many amenities of this cozy ski town. Like many mornings in Girdwood, it feels peaceful. Good vibes linger in the crisp mountain air. He's going to be kicking off the Anchorage Folk Festival. As I continue up the highway, I pass a multitude of side roads with names like Telemark Way, Glacier Creek Road, and Fly Fishing Lane, a constant reminder that I'm in a classic Alaskan ski town. Soon, I pass the familiar Crow Creek Road, and then, just off to the right, the grounds of the Forest Fair come into view. Today, the grounds are eerily quiet, but in early July every summer, they're packed with people, trading in the hibernation of a long Alaskan winter for a weekend of dancing, socializing, and partying. Now in its 45th season, and with the motto of no dogs, no politics, and no religious orders, the Forest Fair is a uniquely Alaskan event, drawing thousands of visitors each year. The grounds are nestled in a lush rainforest, speckled with bubbling creeks, and dotted with quaint arts and crafts vendors, yummy food trucks, and of course, a fully stocked beer garden. But maybe the biggest attraction is the music. With multiple stages and a steady stream of bands with names like the Photons, Loose Gravel, and Sport and Woodies, the Forest Fair is definitely a place to let loose. But on this day, as I gaze out into these tranquil grounds, I'm not thinking about all the good times I've had over the years at the Forest Fair. Instead, I'm thinking about the question that has kept me awake at night for the last six months. What happened to Erin Marie Gilbert? It's been 23 years since a young woman vanished while on a trip to Girdwood. You know, she was such a strong person. I'm sure she fought like crazy, and it really caught her off guard, whoever did this to her. If someone wants to disappear, they can do it. If someone wants to make someone disappear, they can do it. The main thing that made it stand out is she was with a man who seemed to not match up with her. We just don't know what happened to her. It's a a number of scenarios could have transpired. You're listening to Season 1 of Alaska Unsolved.
In the last month, I've immersed myself in Aaron's story. I guess you could say I've fully committed. And for me, that means long days hunting down information and sleepless nights thinking about how much work is yet to be done. In a short amount of time, I've contacted a lot of people, and to my surprise, I've uncovered a lot of information. But I'm learning that in this line of work, it's easy to get sidetracked. If you're not careful, you'll find yourself going down any number of rabbit holes. But I need to stay focused. I didn't sign up to go on a fishing expedition. I'm here to tell Aaron's story. I've decided to take a closer look at the details surrounding Aaron's disappearance on or around July 1st, 1995. The only information I have is a handful of archived articles from the Anchorage Daily News. I hear there's a few eyewitnesses out there who saw or spoke with Aaron at the forest fair that day. Eventually, I'll need to try and track them down. But for now, I'll go back to a conversation I had with Aaron's sister, Stephanie Juarez, back in the summer of 2018 where she recounted Aaron's date, Dave Combs, coming to pick her up, the last time she would ever see her. We lived on Elmendorf Air Force Base, and he picked up Aaron at about 4 o'clock. We had a brief kind of, hi, how are you, nice to meet you kind of a thing, just for a few minutes, and then they left. One thing I always remember is our son Josiah was about four and um, he said Auntie Erin make sure you take the cell phone because we had just bought one kind of for our family to have if we were out and about you know and she said no thanks I'll be fine so that always sticks in my mind just because it would have been nice to have that as far as you know GPS and all that stuff so I remember thinking when I looked at him he just made me a little nervous like I didn't get a good feeling I don't know why. I mean, nothing judgmental per se, but just kind of like, oh, hmm, I don't know about this. So that was just a feeling that I had. So, What kind of vehicle was he driving? It was a car. And I feel like it was like a Ford Taurus type of car. It was just sort of a basic car. It wasn't four-door little sedan type car. I mean, can you remember what he looked like or what his hair was like? He had longer hair, and when I say longer, I feel like it was probably maybe three inches below his earlobe. I mm-hmm. mean, like, that's what I picture long. Do you know what co- like what color his hair was? I think it was, like, a dark brown. Okay. My husband remembers that he had, like, some wire round, um, like, John Lennon-type glasses. I mean, is there any other descriptive features that you can give? Or I know it's so long ago, but... I mean, I remember him getting out of the car. I remember we were outside playing with our kids. And then he walked up, and I just was like, oh, I just didn't... It just wasn't who I pictured her with, but I don't know who I did picture her with. I mean... So they they took off from Anchorage. I mean, what... Do you remember before Aaron left, like what her spirits were like, how she was feeling. Yeah, I think she was in a good mood. And um, I don't want to say she was excited, but she wasn't unexcited. I think she was like, well, let's just kind of see how this goes. And, you know, she had just met him. So I think it was just sort of a, well, we'll just go to this forest fair and, 
you know, I remember feeling a little uneasy. It was out of town, um, mm-hmm. but then she didn't want to take the cell phone. So I just remember thinking, okay, well, we'll see in a while. And, you know, that was just the last time we saw her. So they took off at four o'clock. So I guess since you weren't there, there's not really much you can say about what happened or what they were doing. But with the information that you do have, like, what do you think you know as far as the timeline? What I think I know is they went straight there. There's no witness or evidence they did anything else as far as we know. So my gut says they got down there, you know, let's say 5, 4.45 or 5 or so. And that's what I just don't know. I'm not 100% sure where they parked. And from then, I, it's it gets real blurry because she was seen in the fair by the one lady who I think owns a hair salon, and I can try and find her information. Um, but that, I think, is the only witness. It's crazy. I mean, it just sounds like you just really don't know anything. We just don't know anything, yeah. Although Stephanie's account of the day Aaron went missing was certainly helpful, it also left me with a lot of unanswered questions. In seeking answers, I reviewed the Anchorage Daily News articles, and I even made a request for records about the case from the Department of Public Safety. That request was promptly denied due to the case still being open and an active investigation. Like I've stated before, the public knowledge about this case is hazy at best, there really isn't much out there to go off of. So I decided to try and track down that eyewitness, the forest fair vendor that Stephanie had mentioned. I wanted to hopefully speak with her and hear firsthand what her story was. With Stephanie's assistance, I was able to contact someone who was able to get a message to the vendor. And in early January, I was able to speak with her on the phone. This person did not feel comfortable disclosing her identity, and therefore, she didn't agree to do a recorded interview. But luckily, I kept detailed memos of our conversations. January 3rd, 2019. At 4.19 p.m., I received a phone call from the vendor. She started the conversation by saying, hello, are you the person who's been trying to get in touch with me? I replied, yes. She went on to ask how I'd gotten her name and contact info. I told her that I'd gotten it from Stephanie Juarez. She then went on to ask if I had the support of Aaron's family to be doing my work. I informed her that I did. I asked the vendor if she would consider meeting or talking on the phone to do a recorded conversation. She said she would need to think about it for a couple of days. She then stated, do you have a few minutes right now? 
Do you want to hear what I have to say so you know what you're up against? I found this to be an intriguing comment and told her, yeah, I'd love to hear what you have to say. She went on to describe having a booth at the Forest Fair on July 1st, 1995. She described her booth as providing hair design and face painting. She described that sometime in the early evening on July 1st, 1995, a woman and a man approached her booth. She described the woman as being striking looking, like someone who stood out. She described her as wearing boots, blue jeans, a striped shirt, and having a black leather jacket over her shoulder. She went on to say that the woman expressed interest in getting her belly button pierced. The vendor remembers this specifically because she and her partners had just been discussing not providing piercings at the fair due to hygiene concerns. She described the woman as being interested and engaged in the conversation and very excited about the possibility of getting her belly button pierced. The vendor says they gave her a card and encouraged her to come to the shop in Anchorage in the coming days to get the piercing done. The vendor went on to describe the man who was with the woman, whom she believes to be Aaron. The vendor described them as appearing to be friends, but did not get the vibe that they were a couple. She described the man having his hand on her shoulder at one point. She described the man as white, with a short military-style haircut, and that he appeared to be older than the woman, approximately in his 30s. She then went on to describe law enforcement coming to her shop in the coming weeks and separating her and the other employees to interview them. She describes having law enforcement showing her photos of quote-unquote biker-looking guys, asking if that was the person they saw Aaron with. The vendor described feeling like law enforcement wasn't happy with her when she described the man she saw as being clean-cut, having short hair, and appearing to be in the military. The vendor then went on to describe a theory she has. She said she thinks it's possible that Aaron's date was telling the truth, that his car broke down, and that he went looking for a friend's house to get help. She believes it was during this time that she encountered Aaron, that she'd gone back into the forest fairgrounds to kill time while Dave was out looking for help. She thinks it's possible that Aaron encountered this other man, potentially someone she knew from living on base with her sister and that she might have left with him. The vendor closed by making a chilling statement, saying she believes Aaron is buried in a roadside pullout somewhere on the Seward Highway and that if law enforcement ever finds her, They'll find the vendor's card in Aaron's jeans. Before we ended our conversation, I thanked the vendor for her time. I told her that I'd like to sit with our conversation and that I would get back with her in a few days. I asked her to again consider speaking with me for a recorded conversation, summarizing what she just told me. We then ended our phone call. I'm not going to lie, I was buzzing with energy after I spoke with the vendor. I couldn't believe I'd been able to get a first-hand account from an actual witness. 
Someone who'd actually seen Aaron at the festival. Someone who seemed to vividly remember an encounter from 24 years ago. It felt like an exciting moment and potentially a turning point for me in being able to tell Aaron's story. But my excitement was cut short when I called the vendor two days later to follow up on our initial conversation. This time, she was reluctant to speak with me and told me straight up, quote, Anchorage is a small town. This case makes me feel paranoid. She then asked me not to call her back and inform me that if she wished to speak with me again, that she would initiate contact. But before we ended our call, she did tell me of another witness. In fact, she disclosed that it was her partner who she'd been working the forest fair with who had interacted the most with Aaron. But as luck would have it, just as I was about to ask for her contact information, the call was disconnected. It's easy to get discouraged in this kind of work. You get your hopes up, only to inevitably be let down. People don't want to get involved. They don't want to dig up the past that maybe they've spent years working to put behind them. But I'm keeping things in perspective, reminding myself that like any job or task at hand, it's important to just keep plugging away. It might take some time, but I'll continue to work on getting in touch with the other witness who spoke with Aaron at the forest fair. In the meantime, I decide to reach out to some Girdwood residents, maybe talk to some people who were living in the small ski town on July 1st, 1995. I want to get perspective about what the town was like back then. I've always considered Girdwood to be a bit of a hippie town, but sometimes looks can be deceiving. You never know what lies just below the surface. Hey, can you hear me okay? I'm speaking with a woman named Kelly. She's asked me not to use her last name on the podcast. I've reached out to her after reading an offhand comment she'd left on an old Facebook post related to Aaron's case. In the post, she mentioned that she'd been a bartender at Max's Bar and Grill the night Aaron went missing. I know Max as well. It was the go-to music venue in Girdwood before going out of business in the early 2000s. Located about a half mile from the forest fair grounds, Max's was known for having wild forest fair after parties. I'm hoping that Kelly might remember any details from that night 
that could shed light on Aaron's disappearance. I asked Kelly to start by describing how she remembers Girdwood in July 1995. You know, rent was fairly cheap, and um, it was just, it just seemed like everybody was my age, (laughs) you know? Right. And uh, I don't know, like the whole town was your living room. You could just pretty much walk out the door and then walk into the next house and just hang out and... Um, it was just super friendly and just nice. I mean, it was outdoorsy. You could do anything you wanted to do outdoors. I mean, I had good friends there. It was it was fun. How would you describe Max's back in, like, 1995? Oh, it was a total hub, but it was a safe hub. I mean, I've never bartended anywhere else, and I wouldn't bartend anywhere besides Girdwood. Right. Like, you know, if people got tipsy, I had a super squirt behind the counter <laughs> and if they get fresh i just <laughs> squirt with my squirt gun and that pretty much took care of it you know i never had i had one bar fight and you know the guys were so great that were sitting there and they just took care of it for me nice um you know it was a safe place for somebody like me to try something like that you right. know right and just you know experience that because an Alaskan bar, I can't imagine, like, I wouldn't do that anywhere else. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. Did, so back in 95, would they have, like, a, was there, like, a band playing, and would they, like, bill it as, like, an after party at Max's after the Forest Fair? Is that what was going on that night? It was definitely an after party. I could not tell you if there was a band playing there that night. Right. I mean, we were so busy. We were so busy. I was so busy that I I was a machine. I don't remember if there was a band. I don't remember. There's. It sounds like um, you were in like bartender survival mode that night. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. It was it was insane. Before recording this phone call with Kelly, I'd had a previous conversation with her, letting her know who I was and what information I was looking for. During that conversation, she told me that a friend or coworker had reported seeing Aaron at Max's that night. If this is true, this could be another lead in finding out what happened to her. People just came in droves and droves and droves. Yeah. You had mentioned when we talked on the phone before that, I don't know if you said that some coworkers that you had that night or friends you had that night had said that they saw Aaron Gilbert come into Max's. Is that true? I mean, I do remember people saying that they recall seeing her in there. I don't recall who said it, Mm. but, you know, like I said, it was so long ago. It's like there was so much conversation around her disappearance that it came up in conversation, especially since I was at Max's and I heard that she had been in there and there were so many people in there. And I remember people saying that they had seen her. They thought they saw her in there. And for some reason, you know, I see her standing there by the wall, but I think that that may just be like my... I, I'm a bit intuitive, you know? Right. And right. Um, I don't know if my brain is putting her there or my memory. Well, I, know, I totally understand because I know how that that can happen over time. If, when you think about something or you have conversations with people, 
you know, sometimes time can go by and you're like, God, did that happen or am I imagining that? But, yeah, you know, I do know that she was very striking looking. She was very, you know, very beautiful and, and yeah. tall. And so I think that mm-hmm. if it's... And very thin. And I, you know, that's why she's so, like, clear in my in my mind. Right. So I don't know if I need to look at the pictures that they have of her, if that's what I'm seeing in my mind or if what I'm seeing is like, actually, it's just such a scary story. You know, it's just, there's so much mystery around it and there's so much just, I can understand why some people wouldn't want to be, you know, involved or whatever, but sure. Gerdwood was a safe, beautiful, safe town. I mean, it was just fun and safe and you could be young and stupid and feel like there was this safety net of a town. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we we pretty much just partied all the time and then got after it during the day, climbing or kayaking or whatever, you know, riding bikes, hiking all day. And then partied at night right. and worked as little as we had to. You know what I mean? Yeah, you were like talking was, about my life back then, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just that's what we did. So there aren't a lot of places that, you know, you could just stumble home and not have to worry about anything more than like running into a black bear or somebody's dog, you know? Right. It was um, it was just safe, and that's what was so weird about her disappearing. Right, right. Because especially the forest fair at that point, totally safe. I mean, it, it felt like it was just, yeah. But you do have memories of, of having conversations with people, and you do have a memory of, of somebody saying that they, they did see her there? Yes, absolutely. I'm glad I was able to speak with Kelly. She insisted that her memories of that night wouldn't be of much help, but I disagree. Knowing there might be someone out there who saw Aaron at Max's that night is good information for me to know. I might not be able to track them down, but at least it's something to keep in mind moving forward. Talking with Kelly reminded me of my own life back in 1995. It was a time in life when every day was a new adventure and the world was filled with unlimited opportunities. Things were simple back then, and we lived for the most part one day at a time. Part of me thinks Erin was in a similar place the day she drove down to the forest fair. Although my recent conversations with people have raised a lot of new questions, I'm sticking to the timeline of events surrounding Aaron's disappearance. My next task is to look into the days and weeks after Aaron went missing, to talk more with Stephanie about what that experience was like for her and her family, and see if I can find out some more information about the searches that took place. I'd really like to know more about why Aaron's case remains unsolved after 23 years. Um, beautiful forest. Yeah. 
uh, I don't know if we already passed it, but there's like an avalanche zone. That back there, okay, man. It's January 8th, 2019. It's my dad's 75th birthday, and we're spending the day together, taking a trip to Girdwood to reminisce about old times and talk about Aaron's case. It's like a tourist type of... Yeah. We came up here a couple times with Paul and Cher because he was gold-minded. We're driving to the headwaters of Crow Creek, a river that is born in the glaciers of the Chugach Mountains and ends in the milky waters of Turnigan Arm. For some reason, I feel like I need to spend time in Girdwood. It's a place I've been to many times in my life, but now I just want to come here to listen. Today, Crow Creek sounds peaceful. It might sound strange, but for some reason, being out here makes me feel closer to Aaron. I look down the valley toward the Alieska Ski Resort, toward the old Max's Bar and Grill, toward the Girdwood Forest Fairgrounds. I wonder how Aaron felt on her last day here, in her last hours, in the last moments. I wonder what it felt like. You know, I think I think about like Stephanie and her family, and I get the sense that you know below the surface, you know, just watching Stephanie, it's been 23 years, and like she can't, she's not gonna let it go. Yeah. I mean, she want, she loves her sister. You know, she wants to know what happened. It's it's hard to imagine. Yeah. I just I can't. I can't imagine how you would deal with go it. on. Yeah. It's the not knowing. You know, it's the not knowing. If you or anyone you know has any information about the disappearance of Aaron Marie Gilbert, contact the Alaska State Troopers at 907-269-5511. Alaska Unsolved is written and produced with original music by me, Evan Phillips, with additional music composition by James Glaves. The editing and post-production is by Pod Peak, providing creative audio solutions for podcasters, filmmakers, and brands, You can learn more about the work they do at podpeak.com. Hey, if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on social media. And if you enjoy Alaska Unsolved, if you want to support the work we do from the ground up, you might consider becoming a monthly backer on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash Alaska Unsolved and you can sign up there. All right, friends. Well, thanks for listening today. Take care of yourselves, and we'll see you next time on Alaska Unsolved.